ideally, as a human being, what you want to have is mostly good, friendly bacteria. When you have bad bacteria or you have yeast out of balance, that's where you get sick. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Well, 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 well. Happy August, everybody. I have to admit that life kind of got in the way of some things the last few weeks. And I was not able to squeeze in an episode for my podcast. So I'm very sorry for that. But what I've decided to do is do a best of some of the experts over the last 71 episodes, mainly going back a little bit to some of the early episodes, but nonetheless, some very great pearls of wisdom from some of the past guest experts to share with you. And I have to apologize. I'm very sorry. I had some things going on personally in my life and that just got in the way and I did not have the time to schedule. So I hope that you can forgive me and that you can enjoy some of these past pearls of wisdom from the experts. Enjoy this podcast. I appreciate you all very much. And I hope your summer's going fantastic. And remember, don't make it a great day. Create a great day. Thank you for listening. Much love. And peace out. I had always been passionate about healthy food and about wellness. Uh, I was raised in a uh, restaurant and catering family. And my father had always been very passionate about healthy food. He was way before his time in that. And um, IIN really resonated with me. And and so I went through that certification and became a health coach and started setting up my own practice. But my scientific mind was still very, very thirsty. And IIN is a wonderful training program, as I know you've learned, for teaching people how to be a health coach and and how to run a successful health coaching practice. But I was craving uh, such more intense clinical knowledge. I really wanted to learn more about medicine and about physiology and how the body worked and how body functioning could be optimized through lifestyle choices. And uh, I was really very blessed to have uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, who is a uh, really a true pioneer and leader in the field of functional medicine. I had the great fortune of him mentoring me for a while and turning me on to functional medicine and the Institute of Functional Medicine, uh, where I threw myself with great vigor in order to increase my clinical knowledge as much as possible and started to add more and more functional medicine know-how into my health coaching practice and started getting just helping my clients to get amazing results in truly overcoming chronic disease by getting to the root cause 
building a huge practice and a waiting list and hiring staff and all of that was going like gangbusters. And I, I started sharing some functional medicine know-how with some of my beloved colleagues and friends and realized that there was a lot of knowledge that I had gleaned from functional medicine that these other practitioners didn't have. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I started teaching classes in my kitchen <laughs> on Saturdays. <laughs> and I still remember this day when uh, we had 20-something people in my kitchen and everyone, we had had a potluck breakfast and everyone's taking notes like crazy. And one of my friends looked up at me and she smirked and she said, oh my God, you need to start a school. And uh, well, here we are. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, the rest is kind of history. I just started um, putting together courses and courses became programs and programs became a semester. And now we have a school that teaches hundreds of healthcare practitioners at a time how to use functional medicine in their healthcare practice to actually help people to get fully well. That's that's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. I mean, you have an outstanding program, but Here's a question I get when I tell people what I'm doing. And I'm going to use the words of a, a Southern friend of mine. What the heck is functional medicine, Tracy? <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot too. So functional medicine is the science of getting, uh, identifying the true root causes of disease in each unique person's body and working with them to reverse those root causes. Okay. So when we think about medicine, right? You know, uh, conventional medicine uh, today, I, I think is really uh, wonderful and a blessing, especially for triage care, right? For people who have been injured or people who have an acute need. But conventional medicine uh, has really failed to help us uh, as a culture, to get on top of and stem the growing epidemic of chronic inflammatory diseases. Because we're trying to use the same model that we use for triage care in the arena of lifestyle care. And it's never going to work, right? Because what people need when they've been uh, you know, hit by a bus, right? they have some kind of acute uh, injury uh, or acute infection type of thing, there is a very strong physician-led, pharmaceutical-centered, the sooner the better, let me fix it for you type of approach that is fantastic and life-saving in triage care. Right. That is never going to work in chronic inflammatory diseases that by and large are heavily mediated by our lifestyle choices, right? And, and you know this. I, I mean, you help people with this all the time. The lifestyle choices we make matter in a big, big way toward whether or not we are trending toward a state of disease or trending toward a state of wellness. And uh, functional medicine is, is really just the science of uh, working out the puzzle, right? What are all the unique puzzle pieces that when assembled are creating a state of uh, disease in this person that can be rearranged in order to create a state of wellness? I have 
James Maskell. James Maskell has spent the past decade encouraging a shift away from conventional Western medicine and toward a wellness-centered functional medicine model. To that end, he created the Functional Forum, the world's largest integrative medicine conference. He is also the author of a book called The Revolution of Medicine. He serves on the faculty of George Washington University's Metabolic Medicine Institute. I am excited to have this talk with James today about his most recent project, a health cooperative called New Health. That's spelled with a K, K-E-N-W, which is poised to fight chronic disease through prevention and by using functional and integrative medicine. I want to talk about the cost of healthcare and people's perception of the cost of functional medicine is that it's expensive. How can functional medicine actually bring down that cost of healthcare? Yeah, so... It's a good question. So, you know, functional medicine appears expensive because people have to pay for it outside of their plan. If it was included in their health plan, it wouldn't appear expensive. You know, if you have to pay for everything cash out of pocket and you already have a health plan that you, you know, that you have, that can appear expensive. So the first thing is, is I just want everyone to, to understand that, right? The, the, there's a sort of an illusion of expense that's created by having to pay the patient, you know, the, the patient directly, uh, pay the doctor directly. Now, that's in, you know, in the context, when you say it's expensive, you also have to look at the, you know, what's in context often. The price of healthcare generally has gone up, you know, significantly over the last 40 years. I mean, ridiculously, exponentially, you might say, um, you know, with, with, uh, you know, the, the premiums and then obviously the deductibles have been going on, you know, way up $10,000 per person uh, in America, $3.2 trillion, you know, drugs are expensive, that kind of thing. I mean, ultimately, the way that functional medicine, so there's two things. So functional medicine has to become more efficient and, and delivered in a more efficient, accessible, predictable way. And we can talk about that. And then functional medicine, you know, needs to... That's, so that's the first. Let's talk about how we do that first. Okay. I mean, ultimately, I've been teaching practitioners this for the last couple of years. And then, you know, we, we've taken this to heart with, with New Health, which is we need to find ways to, you know, to bring down the cost of functional medicine. There's a few ways. One is using structures that are more efficient. So in the first year of functional medicine, it was all about just the doctor. The doctor would learn it and the doctor would spend the time. But now you see doctor-health-coach combinations, right? Where the coach is doing most of the coaching at a much lower month, a month, much lower hourly rate. And the doctor is really just there for the diagnosis. Frank Lippman was really at the beginning of this. Parsley Health has sort of, you know, looked at that and you see that going. So most, you know, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so a lot of functional medicine doctors are hiring health coaches to do the heavy lifting on the lifestyle change because doctors are really, you know, too highly paid to be telling you not to eat gluten or to be like coming up with a meal plan for you. So that's one thing. The group structures is another one. So, you know, how do you give people access to the functional medicine operating system? Not a full detailed deep dive consult, but just access to, you know, prioritizing uh, different 
functional improvements in the body. There's some really innovative work happening in group visits. So, you know, they're doing group visits to the Cleveland Clinic. We have doctors in our practice accelerator who have innovated on group structures and created ways to be able to use a group as sort of like an intaking process. So everyone comes through this group intaking process. And then if you want to go deeper into a a one-on-one appointment, you can, but everyone gets sort of like the overall deep dive diagnostics that they participate in themselves. So that's, you know, that's another way, the use of technology, I think, uh, to be able to do things like telemedicine and, and you, know, uh, you know, email connection, those kind of things. So there, there are things that are happening to make the delivery of functional medicine more efficient. And in many cases, those efficiencies can be turned into reduction in price for the end user, for the patient. But, you know, obviously, again, as long as we're still paying outside of our health plans, then, you know, then then it's still going to look expensive. Even something like Parsley Health, which is $150 a month and has done a great job in sort of bringing down the cost of functional medicine, you know, in a certain way, there's only a certain group of people in society that will ever be able to afford that sort of payment on top of the health plan. And so, you know, the real work to make functional medicine accessible and available to everyone is to find ways to have it be part of their, of people's health plans or to have a transformation in the kind of health plans that people get so that they can choose the kind of health care that they want. So that's, you know, that's the, the next phase. And that's what we're, you know, sort of deeply involved with at this point. But I think that, you know, overall, the concepts of functional medicine, root cause resolution, the patient provider relationship, and looking at the body as a whole, like those concepts are ready for prime time in medicine and are, are sort of a solution to a lot of different uh, problems. But we need to find ways to be able to deliver that that promise in a sort of a scalable way. Otherwise, it will only ever be for, you know, for, you know, for rich people. You know, if... The, the other thing that could happen, Tom, is that if functional medicine is able to show categorically like better outcomes at lower cost for a range of diseases, that would be the first step towards you know major acceptance where now you know health plans could start paying for functional medicine. I just feel like that might be five or ten years away still, and that's why you know again that's why we see new health as such a critical component because it opens up more wallet share for your general, your average consumer to be able to invest in the care that they believe. Dr. Daniel Pompa is a global health leader on a mission to educate practitioners and the public on the origins of inflammation-driven disease. Although trained as a chiropractor, his authority is rooted in his own battle having overcome neurotoxin illness and heavy metal poisoning using unique cellular detoxification strategies. For the past two decades, Dr. Pompa has been studying, practicing, and teaching true cellular detox around the world. A leader in the field of functional medicine, Dr. Pompa's work can be found at drpompa.com and his weekly cellular healing TV podcast which are viewed worldwide by thousands. Dr. Pompa also has a book out called The Cellular Healing Diet, Heal the Cell, Get Well, Lose Weight, and Feel Great. Man, I'm so blessed to have you on here today. 
I went to the HS, uh, HCF conference. When you spoke about this autoimmune three-legged stool, I almost stood up out of my seat and said, hallelujah, somebody gets this. <laughs> A lot of physicians today in Western medicine don't get this, nor do they go find the root causes of these symptoms or diseases. Well, tell me, you have two things happening here, right? You have the allopathic side of things that they don't care to get it. They're stuck in a paradigm. So I'm not being critical. I, it right. is what it is. They're stuck in a paradigm of here's symptoms, here's medications, and there's a time and a place for that, but that's not addressing the chronic disease uh, nor the cause, right? And then you have the alternative side, right? And they're really doing the same thing, but with supplements and other pills. They're really not understanding why people are getting sick. They're not addressing it, and they're not going far enough upstream to really make a difference, at least a lasting difference. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm just finishing up my schooling for functional medicine. And that's another thing that, you know, was in a room full of people, of like-minded people, like at that conference, it just gave me chills because all these people are out in that room to make a difference. Yeah. And it almost gave me tears as like, uh, it was like God probably put me in that place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, today in our society, autoimmune disease or activation rarely comes out of the middle of nowhere. It, it's, it's, it's a build up to it. Yeah. Well, look, uh, you know, there's so many subjects here. Right? Number one, we better right. tell them what the heck the three-legged stool is. But, <laughs> I, you know, I'll say this on autoimmune and we'll, we'll move into that because, right. you know, most of it's underdiagnosed. Uh, the testing is in the stone ages. So you've had autoimmune for 10, 20, even 30 years before you get a diagnosis. Uh, so more, most people have it and don't know it. Um, all the unexplainable symptoms, hormone problems, uh, I can go down a list. It's autoimmune, meaning your body's attacking itself, driving cellular inflammation, and thereby a host of symptoms that you go, I, I don't get it. I'm eating better. I'm doing this. I'm doing it. And yet I still don't feel well. It's most likely autoimmune. Now, the three-legged stool is just a great analogy of what, what's going on, the cause of it. And again, I said, therein lies the solution. So if you think of a three-legged stool, what is the analogy? You have three legs that have to be there for the stool to hold up. <laughs> well, thereby there's three things that have to be going on for the autoimmune, or like you said, it goes beyond autoimmune, really for any condition today, uh, chronic condition. So we have number one, DNA certain genes that get triggered or turned on. Now, the old paradigm that most people listening to, your doctors still believe in. Oh, you just have a thyroid condition because your mother had it. Well, you know, that dogma is so scientifically old and rejected, and yet people still get it. They still believe in it, I should say. You know, right. but it is not that simple. Genes are turned on. We all have genes of our you know, susceptibility and weaknesses. However, there are stressors that turn them on. We get that today. So yes, you may have a thyroid condition. You may have diabetes. You may have been diagnosed with an autoimmune or some gut condition. That gene was triggered. So you will not feel better until you understand 
that we have the ability and we can turn that expression of gene off. So that therein lies a lot of science that people are not applying today, even the alternative, definitely not the allopathic side, that we know how to turn these genes off. And a lot of my cellular healing work in my five R's applies to turning off those genes. Now, the other leg, so that's one leg of the stool. We have to address that cause. The, 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 another leg of this three-legged stool is the stressors that turned it on. If we don't remove them, then we're not going to be able to turn those genes off long-term, whether it's physical stress, chemical, or emotional. We have to deal with those causes of that gene being turned on. In my true cellular detox, that's really what, you know, that area that we address. Okay, and this is the last leg. We know now more about the, what's called the microbiome, meaning that we have more bacteria than even cells in our body. And we now know that these bacteria play into our immune system, how our brain works. And I mean, all these things, we had no idea of this relationship between our cells and our bacteria. Well, we know that when this gets disrupted, again, certain genes are turned on. Now it backs up detox pathways. So we must address this epidemic of the onslaught of this bacteria problem. And we have people with leaky gut. Some of your listeners may have heard of that, but it's you know a condition where things are leaking across the gut because it's so inflamed and toxic. Um, we have all of these gut issues today that are part of this three-legged stool of why we're seeing an explosion of chronic disease. So the answer is when we address the microbiome correctly, and we have a unique way of doing that, when we address the stressors correctly, and I teach a unique way of cellular detox, and then when we address the DNA, putting it all together, therein lies an answer the world needs, but yet so few are doing this, and that's why you're right. God sent you to my conference to be another mouthpiece on saying, listen, this works. We need more people doing it. And now for a little general housekeeping. If you are enjoying this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would go to whatever app you are listening to this on and rate and review the show and share it with your friends. Thank you very much. Now, if you've been listening to my episodes for the last couple of years, you'll know that I key on gut health quite frequently in my episodes because honestly, the gut health is king. And pretty much all disease begins in the gut, as Hippocrates said back in 420 BC. So that's a reason I key on gut health quite frequently, because if you're trying to do something simple is just lose weight, your gut health is key. So I have been developing a gut health cheat sheet over the last few months for you to download. And you can obtain this gut health cheat sheet by texting the word gut health, two words, gut health to 773-770-4377. Again, gut health to 773-770-4377. Thank you, and I hope you continue to enjoy this episode and make it a great day. Deborah Bowman, welcome back to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. You know, we're, we're in a situation these days where in the 1900s, 
cancer was one in 80, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Now we're one in eight and men are one in a thousand, I believe. But breast cancer is also a man disease and can be a man disease, I should say. So, but nearly 40,000 people die every year from breast cancer. Right. So 95% of all cancer is caused by environmental toxicity. 5% of cancer is caused by genetic mutations, and we'll get into that. But let's talk about the cancer diagnosis. A cancer diagnosis can barrel into your life like a runaway freight train. Yep, it's about the most frightening thing I think you can go through because I would dare to say that most cancer patients, what they hear is they're going to die. I, it's such a disempowering feeling. All of a sudden you're thrown into not only the world of the unknown, but probably your worst fear. And you're getting all this information thrown at you and having to make some really serious and profound and lifelong decisions when you're not really prepared for that. It's a really overwhelming experience. I heard somebody recently describe it as you have to process everything, and yet you're in such a state of shock that you process nothing. Well, I mean, one minute you're at the doctor's office getting something minor checked out. The next moment, you, the doctor's coming back and saying, hey, you have cancer. And then your doctor, even though they mean well, bombards you with a whirlwind of treatments. Exactly. This is, but I want to take a step back and say, look, this isn't like you're having a heart attack that we need to fix this now. It's something that needs to be fixed, but there is some time to sit back and say, okay, let me absorb this. Right. That's a very important point. We live in a system where cancer is treated like this life-threatening, acute problem. And in reality, it's a chronic problem. And there are estimates that by the time you get diagnosed with cancer, it's not something that developed in the two months before it was diagnosed. It's something that's been developing for sometimes 10 to 20 years uh, because of the microscopic cellular changes. And by the time you actually detect something, you know, it's been around for a long time. So one of the really important things that you can offer is to really help somebody understand that if they need to take a couple of weeks or, you know, a month to really not only, you know, kind of get over the shock and kind of sort through some of the choices, but to get their lives in order. I mean, that's always been something as a, as a nurse that I've always been an advocate of is getting, getting, you know, letting people have the time to get their lives in order and get their and, and psychologically get themselves in line with what they have to enter into. I mean, if you're a woman that has young kids and, you know, working a job and, you know, or, you know, has a family, all those things have to be, you know, kind of addressed before you jump into a treatment that that's going to be debilitating in many cases for months, you know, it, it's, um, it's giving people the time. This is not an acute illness. This is a chronic illness. And giving people that time and space to really sort through that is one of the most important things that we can do. And gives people the time and space to develop the questions that they need to ask their providers. You know, it's like there are specific questions that uh, you're not in a place to ask when you first get dealt the news that, that you have cancer. I mean, your immediate thought is, well, get it out of my body. And the sooner, the better. But, you know, giving yourself a little time and space gives you the time to really go into it more informed and more calm and making sure that you've got, you know, 
your questions answered and your business taken care of. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think that this is, there's a lot of options available on the table. And I think that you should, in my opinion, of course, I've never been diagnosed with cancer, such as yourself, but, you know, get to know what your options are. And if it means hiring a functional medicine practitioner just to give an in, you know, just to get some ideas, that's, I think that's a viable option, in my opinion. I do too. And it's one of the reasons that I decided to specialize in this because there, it was after I went through this whole experience that I started looking for a functional medicine practitioner who could help me sort through my options in terms of 10 years of taking pretty aggressive medication. And it was difficult to find. And there, you know, I really do not recommend that people go on Google and start looking because <laughs> there's a lot of opinions and a lot of information out there, but there are integrative medicine practitioners and integrative oncology practitioners who not only can talk to you about the best, you know, options between traditional treatment and um, uh, functional medicine. I, I, I really don't have a better word than alternative, but I hate the word alternative. Um, but, uh, you know, they've, they've actually done research that shows that there are certain supplements and certain things that you can do to make chemo to make the cells more receptive to chemotherapy so even if you're going through that treatment there are things that you can do to enhance your health and you know perhaps they don't need to use as much or as strong of chemotherapy if you're merging it with more integrative approaches and there's certainly a lot that you can do as you go through treatment and when it's done one of the main problems that most people have when they're going through chemotherapy is appetite and loss of weight and loss of muscle mass and, um, you know, some real nutritional challenges that I think functional medicine practitioners are uniquely trained to help people address. Uh, uh, yeah, 100%. 110%, I'll give you that. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Rachel Lovink to the Rebel Health Coach podcast. Let's dig into the gut a little bit. I mean, we always hear the phrases like I have butterflies in my stomach, I have a gut feeling, or that there's a pit in my stomach. And, you know, there's a, I'm a firm believer in the gut brain connection or that. And uh, I know Hippocrates was an older, old gentleman. He's was 200 BC. He said the gut, all disease begins in the gut. So he's a very brilliant man. Right. Let's talk about that. What, what does it got have to do with how we feel? Right. So, I mean, a few important pieces here. But, you know, when we think about the gut, um, a lot of people don't realize that the gut actually has its own nervous system. So it is lined with um, um, nervous systems, um, cells and parts that, you know, are part of the greater nervous system of our body. So that's important for us to know because how we feel is, is you know, largely mediated by our nervous system, but also... It is mediated by um, hormones and neurotransmitters, which actually the gut produces um, a lot of its own hormones and neurotransmitters. So things like serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine, all these you know, you know, things that we know are related to um, mood. Well, guess what? The gut also produces those. So those two components there can tell us that you know how we feel, or sorry, what, what happens in our gut can impact how we feel. And then the other component to this is is that um, you know we know that our gut is lined with a, a microbial population 
and and this these microbes, so these good gut bacteria, influence our immune response. And so our immune response is very much tied into inflammation. And so what we'll learn later on is is the role that inflammation plays in brain health and in mood disorders, which is a really important piece. So yeah, and, and you know, and I, I will also just mention that you know, typically when we think about the gut function, we think about um, how the brain influences the gut, right? So the brain controls motility; it controls the secretion of important, um, uh, you know, products of digestion, so our, our enzymes. But actually, what you know we've learned, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, is that actually the gut influences the brain um, as well. And and this is called the bi-directional communication between the brain and the gut. So yes, the brain influences the gut, but the gut and its contents and what happens there has a large influence and communicates with the brain. So this this is really important because it it tells us that um, we can make a big impact on our brain health and our mood health by impacting what's what's going on in the gut. Okay, good. Okay. And... The role between the gut plays with the mood and anxiety also. Uh, Can you expand on that just a little bit before we dig deeper? Yeah. So, I mean, if we just even just basically really just talk about what the gut does, this will give us a lot of insight into understanding how it can impact the brain. So when we look at its function, so it's involved in the absorption and breakdown of nutrients. Um, and this includes a lot of the precursors to our important neurotransmitters and hormones. Um, and if we're not properly breaking down and absorbing nutrients, guess what we're also not making? So it also communicates and educates the immune system. And as I mentioned, um, this is a, a, plays a big role in our inflammatory response in our body, um, which you know we is, is sort of thought to be at the the root of most chronic modern uh, diseases, which include mood disorders such as depression. It's a protection, a barrier between the inside and the outside. So it prevents toxins, it prevents um, you know, undigested food particles, it prevents unwanted bacteria and other substances, viruses from essentially entering into our bloodstream and interfering with our immune system, our nervous system, and our hormone system. So that's really important, you know, its role in protecting. But it also um, not just absorbs and breaks down some nutrients, but a lot of the bacteria in our gut produce important nutrients, neurotransmitters, and hormones. This includes things such as B12, serotonin, GABA, norepinephrine, and dopamine. And these all play a really critical role in mood regulation. And I'll just give your listeners a few examples is that, for example, lactobacillus, which is an, a known species that inhabits the gut, produces acetylcholine and GABA. Okay. And GABA is one of our sort of calming, um, sedative type neurotransmitters. The bifido species produces GABA as well. And the streptococcus and the enterococcus, which are also normal inhabitants of our gut, produce serotonin. So um, all of these are really important for brain health. So you know what we put into the gut and how it impacts that bacterial population and the function of our gut goes a long way to impacting our, our brain and mood. Let's take a closer look at the gut and take us through a top-down view right. for the listeners. Yeah, and that's important because I don't think people understand all the different parts of our gut and how they are all connected. So I like to really explain it very simplistically to my patients. I say, think of a hollow tube, okay? And so this is essentially what our gut is. It's a hollow tube, starts in our mouth, 
and ends in our rectum. And it's a very consistent lining of hollow tube that goes down. We break it down into its individual components. We have the esophagus and then we have the stomach and then we have the small intestine and then we have the large intestine and then finally our rectum. And so this hollow tube, while while simple in its structure, um, as we've already talked about, is actually quite complex in its function. But um, for the purposes of explaining, this hollow tube is a a skin-like layer, as we talked about, which is our gut lining. And on the inside, so um, and we and just so listeners know, when we talk about the inside of your gut, we actually consider that to be the external world. So that's why this this um, gut lining is such plays such an important role because anything that's in your gut is still considered to be in part of the external world. It's only once your body and your gut body's microbes have decided, um, and this is in a healthy individual, that these substances are safe to enter into your body, is it, does it actually able to get across the gut lining? So I'd like to explain that. Inside the gut wall, you know, inside the gut is still external to the world. And so on top of this, um, you know, hollow tube, so the skin-like layer, which we call our our, our um, our gut barrier. We have um, a mucus lining. We have microvilli that play a role in digestion absorption. And then importantly, we have all of our gut microbes. And we literally have microbes that are um, all the way, that are in our mouth and that are all the way down into our large intestine. And the number of them is really where they differ. So um, when we talk about our healthy microbial population, yes, to some degree, we're talking about the stomach and we're talking about the small intestine, but mostly we talk about the large intestine because this is where um, the majority of our, our microbes reside. Um, and essentially, when we talk about the small intestine, it's it's relatively sterile. So the numbers of bacteria in this part of our gut are closer to a thousand, whereas in our, our, our large intestine, there are you know, millions and billions. I might be misquoting myself here. But so this is really important to consider. So um, the health and the population and the balance of these bacteria that line and that are in each individual compartment of our gut play a really big role in how our gut functions. So I'm sure some of your listeners have heard about SIBO, which is small intestinal bowel overgrowth. That's where we have too much bacteria in a part of our gut where we shouldn't have it. And that's in the small bowel. Another infection that we can talk about is H. pylori. Well, that's an infection that happens in the stomach. And um, um, and this is when uh, this population is, is able to thrive because um, usually it's related to not enough stomach acid. So I'm just sort of giving your, your listeners some examples of you know the different microbial populations that um, inhabit different parts of our gut. Dr. Slossy, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast once again. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have you again. I'm glad you're on board and uh, we're going to talk about some uh, a little bit of sleep today. Great. This uh, is a hot topic. I mean, It's I a very hot topic. Yeah, I think some people don't think it's as glamorous as I do. Right. But let me tell you what a good, strong, solid sleep foundation will certainly make you look glamorous because sleep will restore your health. It will restore your beauty. It will restore your brain. I mean, we all need some sleep. And I think honestly, in this society, um, there's a lot of the idea of 
oh, I can get by on four hours. I don't think it's true that you really need to sleep eight hours. I do fine on five or I like to stay up late. I don't think it's affecting me. And yet the same person who's staying up late and only sleeping four or five hours a night, they have health issues like they're overweight and they don't, they're not happy with that. And they're not as sharp in their brain. They think they're having... Um, you know, regular old age-related memory loss when really what they're lacking is sleep. Since functional medicine is, a, is about the interconnectedness of our body and the systems in our body that all function together, let's talk about the interconnectedness, the things that we need to sleep. And I know a lot of people don't realize that they need a healthy gut to sleep. But that, and I know I preach gut health a lot, but it's so very important in all aspects of our life because not only does your gut cause disease, a healthy gut keeps you healthy. And in order, and, and not only that, but 80 to 90% of our serotonin in our, is in our gut. Yeah. It's like and, and serotonin is like the seed or the precursor to melatonin, which helps us sleep. Absolutely. So, Let's go, let's walk through the process of what the gut and our microbiome have to do with sleep. So when you have, so just to orient all you Rebel Health listeners, your gut that Tom's talking about is essentially this tube, this 30 foot, approximately 30 foot tube that you have from your mouth to your anus. And it's actually coveted real estate. Um, the bacteria, the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, the yeast, parasites, protozoans, karyocytes are all competing for space in there. And ideally, as a human being, what you want to have is mostly good, friendly bacteria. When you have bad bacteria or you have yeast out of balance, that's where you get sick. And this microbiome, this collection of bacteria and yeast and protozoans and parasites and karyocytes and parasites are actually 10, you know, if you count them up, there are approximately 10 trillion of those little guys, but our cells only have 3 trillion. Like in one human being, you only have approximately 3 trillion cells. So this garden you have has this huge power over you, your genetics. So the genetics that you're walking around expressing from your three trillion cells is actually not as powerful as the genetic expression of those 10 trillion cells, just via number. So that's how important your gut microbiome is. And your gut microbiome, unfortunately, in this day and age, in this, this country, um, the standard American diet, so like, like a bread and sugar, basically, or flour and sugar really promotes yeast versus a healthier diet, which is full of vegetables and good healthy proteins and fat will encourage the, the bacteria because the bacteria will digest those fibers. And so what happens is when you get out of balance, like let's say you're eating too much sugar and flour, first of all, the sugar is going to affect your sleep, but that, that could be a, a topic for later on. <laughs> but you know, you start to get an imbalance in your gut. And then when you have an imbalance in this microbiome, you're not going to be creating some of the neurotransmitters that your gut 
creates. Like for example, serotonin, the one that you said is the seed to melatonin, you create that with in your gut with bacteria and carbohydrates. And melatonin, which is created through in the same way, but with darkness, in the darkness, is also stems from that. And then the other neurotransmitters, dopamine, GABA, tryptophan, tryptophan converting into 5-hydroxytryptophan and things like and then tryptophan, 5-hydroxytryptophan converts is also is is the precursor to the serotonin and the melatonin, right? right. And then yeah. there's things like GABA, which I just mentioned, where GABA is the like calming down neurotransmitter. So having copious amounts of GABA is also going to help you to rest. You know, and serotonin is a feel-good hormone. And we know that People who are depressed, who are on what are called SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they actually have real disturbances with their sleep. And sometimes often when they get on a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, meaning the serotonin stays in their brain longer, they end up sleeping better, you know, but, you know, it's, it's usually people who are depressed, they, they either can't sleep or they sleep all the time. So there's definitely, we definitely can take all of this information and deduce that, you know, we've got to remain, you've got to maintain a healthy gut to maintain healthy neurotransmitters to be able to sleep properly and be in balance. Which is, which is, I mean, this really boils down to why people, I mean, a healthy gut actually reverses depression at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is there's definitely an association with probiotics really helping people with depression. But basically, if your poop and sleep are interconnected. <laughs> yeah. Those are two fundamental naturopathic questions that I think yeah. most naturopaths right. and health coaches, I'm sure, are going right. to be working on is how are you pooping and how are you sleeping? Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.